on New Year's Day, when I brought up the passage of, in Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. And some have asked me, is that the vision for this, this year? And I went, yeah, I guess so. Because it's all about Christian maturity. And I really believe, and I think I said that Sunday, that this is a year where we're going to need all the maturity we can get as we handle what's coming down the road. Our world has changed, and it's not going back the way it was. And it's all in God's plan, and there's going to be a lot of good things. There's going to be a lot of hard things. But one of the things that I wanted to do was to kind of go through and just tell you my heart about all these, you know, those three verses. And last week I did a little introduction about what Christian maturity is. And today we're going to look at verse 9, but before we get there, I wanted to say a couple of things. Last week I said that in many congregations, because of the state of Christianity in America, now let me tell you something, for in most countries, not all, but in most countries, Christianity that we possess here in America would be foreign to them. In fact, I've read a number of articles over the years where believers have come over here into America and they say that the church here is asleep. But on the other hand, the church here is arrogant. We think we know it all. We think we got it all together. And actually, we've missed it. When I went to Haiti many years ago, and I saw the church there, when I came back, my heart broke for America. It really did. You can ask my wife. I, I, I would cry. Because over there, their faith, I've told you this, I think I've told you this before. We had a bunch of people get saved at this this we would call it in America Revival. There they call it church. And it was every day. And so they would go down, and, and there was a, in Laestere, Haiti, there was a, a river that ran on the outside of the city, and that's where they got their water from. That's where they did all kinds of things in that water. And um, when you got baptized there, you were paraded down the street in a white robe that they made for you, and they would do a parade down the street. Now, you had to go past a lot of different places, and one of the places was a voodoo priestess house. And her and her disciples would throw things at you as you were going by. Then you would go to the river, and what was really neat, I saw the deacons there would go before the pastor walked in, they would go and clear out and they would go and rub their hand on the bottom to make sure he didn't step on anything sharp or anything of that sort, and the people too. And then the, you would go down one at a time into the water. And on the other side of the river were the hecklers. And they would throw rocks at you. They would throw food at you while you were getting baptized. Now, next time somebody gets baptized, we're going to hawk things at you over here, Okay. Because it was there you had to make a statement, a public profession of your faith so that the town would know that you were different. We don't have it hard at all. What's expected of church gatherings today? This. Believe it or not, this is true. This came from an article. Excitement. Great music, fun, and Christian entertainment. Let me say it again. Excitement, great music, fun, and Christian entertainment. We don't want to be happy, clappy, snappy. In Haiti, at least in that little town, now the other church, the main church in Port-au-Prince, totally different. More American. But in that little town, you lived your faith, and you were persecuted in some way, shape, or form for your faith. We expect much from the production on Sunday morning, but little from each other. Is 
This is not a correction. I pray that this opens our eyes today. We expect all this stuff from a church. We expect to be able to come here, and we expect to be able to be ministered to you here. We expect to have a great children's program so our kids can go there, because we want to dump our kids off before we come in here, because we don't want any distractions, because we need to go and get in the presence of God. I've heard that here. We've had people not come here because we didn't have children's activities before the children's Sunday school time. But we expect that. But we expect little from each other, meaning this. Lay a stare. This is all not my notes. We may not even get to it today. There was a big man there. We called him the gentle giant. I'm 6'2". I looked up at him. Okay? This guy was huge, not fat, huge. The kindest man I've ever met in my entire life. When I came up and I was you know, going to do the music and then one or two times I got to preach while we were there, there were two weeks. Every time I saw him, he would go like this. But it was more like this. <laughs> and he would hug me and pull me in and I thought my body was going to collapse because his arms were the size of my thighs, okay? And he would just hug me with all the love and compassion and passion and Christian love, all that stuff. He would just hug, and I'd be going, my eyes are bulging, okay? Because he would just crush me. And then he would walk over to Rob, and Rob was about that tall, and he would sometimes pick Rob up and hug him. And it was just, it was wonderful, but I found out about him. You know what happened? He was a voodoo high priest. Got radically saved in this little church that had no windows, no glass in the window. It was a brick building, not painted, with a, like a thatch-type roof with, that had aluminum on, on it in places. And they had wooden benches and rafters. And every time that church was open, which was, believe it or not, every day, there were people standing outside listening and people sitting in the rafters and in the windowsills. So he got saved. And he told me this as we went on through the week. And it's a requirement when you come out of voodoo, you brought all of your voodoo articles with you. You stood in the middle of the street, piled them up, and you renounced your faith in voodoo and announced your faith in Christ right there on the street with people watching. And then you burned your stuff. Close all of it. We expect much of the production on Sunday morning, but little from each other. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 1, verse 9. Now this is a prayer that Paul has written down that he prays for the church in Philippi. And also there's similar prayers in Colossians, there's similar prayers in Ephesians for the churches there. So that's what this is. Now look what he says in verse 9. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge, real knowledge, and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. Lord, as we look into the word for just a few moments, I pray that you will give understanding and that you will speak to our hearts. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you bring conviction, encouragement, and peace. In Jesus' name, amen. First thing we're going to see, we're only going to look at verse 9 today. In it are three different signs that I saw of Christian maturity. A sign of Christian maturity, the first thing, is a prayer life. He said, in this I pray. Now, what is it telling us? Christian maturity comes as we seek Christ. Paul's foundation was based in a relationship with Christ. If we want to have any type of Christian maturity, then we need to have a relationship with Christ. You go, well, wait a minute, that means being saved. No. It's a, it's, it's a fruit of that. I know many people that say they're saved, but they have very little maturity in Christ. 
right? It comes with a relationship that you build. How do you build it? Like any relationship, in any marriage, in any friendship, in any work relationship, it comes through communication. It comes from me talking to you. It comes from me getting to know you, getting to know you, right? Okay, sorry, only um, aged people know that. Okay? It comes from a relationship. It comes from me getting to know Bradley. It comes from me talking to him. It's the same with our relationship with God. Do you know that one of the hardest things that people say to do, besides reading the Bible, is praying? Because we're expecting to hear, and yes, I will answer that, oh my child, whom I loveth. This is not Charlton Heston in the Ten Commandments. This is a time where you pray. And in that quiet moment, when you have those moments with Christ, he will speak to our hearts. We'll feel this nudging. We'll feel his leading. We'll feel even at times of presence. And other times we may feel nothing. We prayed. But the thing is, is when we do it, when we have that time of communication, when we set it up, it builds a maturity as we go day to day. Am I making sense? Are you tracking with me? Okay, let me show you something. Look at verse 10 of chapter 3 of Philippians. Look at Paul, what he wanted. He had a relationship, but look what he said. Paul, the apostle, he said this, that I may know him. Now, real quick, that know, we're going to look at it in a minute, it means experiential knowledge. How do you get experiential knowledge? By experiencing God. How do you experience God? I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. But the point I want to make, he said, I want to know you. Here's Paul who had an incredible relationship with Christ, and he still said, I want to know him. More and more. You know when marriages fall apart, when we quit wanting to know our spouse. You know when friendships fall apart, when we quit wanting to know our friends. You know when our work relationships fall apart, when we don't want to go to work. You know when our relationship with God falls apart? When we stop praying. When we make excuses. Prayer was the life source for Paul and a resource for ministry. And his heart, his heart was this. Look at Colossians chapter 1 verse 9. One book over. Now I know it's up there, but I'm asking you to... Look in it, if you will, in your Bible, even on your phone, God forgive you. Okay. <laughs> Kidding, don't anybody get offended. Look at verse 9. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we, meaning who? Him and Timothy and anybody else that was with him, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And you can go on. We're just going to stop there. He says, I pray that you may be filled with the knowledge. How are you filled with the knowledge? From praying, from seeking God. How do we grow spiritually? By seeking him. But the thing is, is we get upset with him because we don't get the answers we think we should have, and what happens? Then we fall apart. That's a whole other sermon, but I don't want to go there yet. Christian maturity only comes as we abide in Christ. That's why Paul said, and this I pray. Go back to Philippians chapter 1, verse 9. And this I pray gives this. It gives an understanding that all that follows is of divine origin. Meaning what? Everything he's going to start praying for, God is going to do. He prays that God does this. And it has to come from God. So if it has to come from God, where's his origin? God. And this I pray. When we pray... What we're asking, as God begins to do it, is from him. It's nothing you can do. We cease praying when we try to do it ourselves. You with me? What did Jesus say? Real quick. Turn with me. Don't look up there yet. Turn with me. 
to John chapter 15. Can I be bold and ask a favor? Like you're going to tell me no. And if you do tell me no, I'm still going to ask. Can I ask a favor? Hold on. Let me show you. Can you leave these in your pocket next week? Can you leave these in your pocket next week and bring this? Can I ask a favor? Would you do that? For one, just one week, we'll start there. Bring this. Do you know that Christian maturity is knowing where in the Bible to look? And there's nothing like looking in your Bible that you've got your markings in, that you've got your notes in, that you've got all that stuff in. Do it next week. Leave your phones in your pocket and bring your Bible. Just a favor, kind favor. Let's go to John 15. Look at it real quick. John 15, verse 5. Look what Jesus said. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Look at verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and, cause them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned up. Look back at 5. I am the vine. He's the source. You are the branches. We're the product. He who abides, that means stays connected. Abide means to dwell. It means to live in. It means to draw from. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you know how your spiritual life grows? Your Christian maturity grows? By that. By abiding in Christ, because it says, the promise is this, we will bear much fruit. Because apart from him, we can do nothing. The good indicator of a believer's maturity as a Christian is their prayer life. That's the first thing, prayer life. Paul told the Thessalonians to pray without ceasing. That means to have an attitude and a heart for prayer all the time. You all with me? I'm going to keep asking that because I, there's a couple of glazed looks starting to happen. Okay, let's go on. Here's the second sign. Second sign of Christian maturity. Back to Philippians chapter 1 verse 9. Look what it says. It says that your love may abound still more and more. The second sign of Christian maturity is God's love. Christian maturity has its foundation in the very love of God. A sign of the last days, you know what the sign of the last days is? In Matthew chapter 24, verse 12, is that men's love will grow cold. And if you aren't seeing that today, you don't drive 75. You don't go to stores. I was in the store the other day, and there was a, and I was standing there, and there was a, I can say this now because I'm considered elderly. There was a more elderly person standing over here. And we were coming, going in. In fact, it was going into Kroger. And I had a basket. They had a basket. And we were kind of, I was maybe two steps ahead of them. And we were going. And there was about this much space in between us as we were starting to go through the door. And this young girl came busting by. She went like this. And I went, she turned around and said, you're welcome. And she goes, oh. And she kept going. She didn't even catch what she did. Do you know what that is? That's love growing cold. It's a very small example of it. To most people, nothing, but it's love growing cold. It's the same in church. As believers, our love grows cold for each other. Christian maturity has this foundation in God's love. The word here, word for love is what? Agape, a love, okay, that's true. But it's agape. You know what agape means? Anyone can say it, go ahead. The love of God. Yes, 
but that's the very minimal definition of it. You know what it means? It means God's willful direction towards us in love. It means this. It means God loves us, but he's extended his will towards us to love us. It's like this. Most people say, oh, I fell in love at first night when I saw my wife or I saw my husband. No, that probably wasn't true. Love is not a feeling. Agape is not a feeling. It's a directed will towards somebody. That means I'm choosing to love you. I'm choosing to care about you. I'm choosing to like you. I'm choosing to serve you. I'm making a choice. God made a choice to love us before the foundation of the worlds were ever laid. He made a choice to love a creation he hadn't even created yet. And he's going to love us no matter what. And most people don't realize, even when he sends unbelievers to hell forever, that is even an act of his love. You're going, how? I'm not explaining that today. Look it up. Here's another thing. Biblical love is not an empty, sweet feeling. It's a deep commitment founded on the truth of Scripture and a relationship with Jesus Christ. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Let's back one book. Ephesians chapter 1. Or actually, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Let's keep going. No, let's stop there. Don't laugh at me. <laughs> I'm trying to stay in my notes, okay? What is that saying? Well, let me show you. Go to 1 Peter. It's a few books forward. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. He says this, Since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. So what are we saying? Christian maturity progresses as God's love abounds in us. You want to know that you're growing as a believer? Start loving people, choosing to love them. And let me tell you something, if you've been a believer long enough, it's hard to love some other believers. Let's get real. It's hard to love people sometimes because they're not giving us any reason to love them, are they? They're being rude, being mean, being ugly, or whatever, or we just don't like being around them. Well, guess what? That's what God does for us because we give him no reason to love us. You want to know you're growing as a believer? Learn to love. There was a, a guy that one time passed away, and he said that before the Lord sent him back, whether you believe this or not, it's fine. He asked him, he said this, he goes, have you learned to love yet? And the man knew that he hadn't. The Lord sent him back. Have you learned to love yet? But let me tell you again, love is not an ooey-gooey, rich and chewy feeling. That's an old commercial. He says this. Go back to Philippians chapter 1, verse 9. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and in all discernment. He says that your love may abound. The word abound means this. It means to have more than enough. And we saw that two weeks ago. We have more than enough when we know Christ's love for us. That means our love is supposed to abound for one another and for God. And he's given us more than enough to be able to do that. Even in us, we don't have the capacity to truly love. But when we are believers, we have the Holy Spirit in us. And what is one of the fruit or one of the aspects of the fruit, which is a singular word, 
the aspects of the fruit. The first one is what? Love. Love. How are you going to know your believer if you love? What is a sign of a believer? You love. You love God first and you love others. And love means you're willing to serve. You're willing to this. If it's agape love, then we're willing to lay our lives down for each other. We're willing to serve one another. We're willing to pay the price for one another. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. Turn with me, if you would. Ephesians, back one book. Chapter 3. Look at Paul's prayed for the Ephesian church. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. That's cool. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. So that, we're strengthened so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints. Did you catch that? That means with the congregation. That means with all believers. That means in the body. That you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. If God's love is what it ought to be in us, then everything else will follow. Let's move on. Third sign of Christian maturity is this. Relational knowledge. He said, look what he says. In real knowledge and all discernment. That your love may abound in real knowledge and all discernment. Christian maturity is not ignorant. The word knowledge means this. It's a participatory knowledge which influences one's walk in Christ. It's a real knowledge produces, if, if it's a real knowledge of God, it produces a holiness through sincere devotion and obedience to the scriptures. If we really know God, we're going to be obedient. Doesn't mean we're perfect. Doesn't mean we're not going to have moments where we fail. But we're going to want to be obedient and we're going to move towards obedience in Christ. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my... In, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 24, the first part of it says, the one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. Real biblical knowledge enables believers to love God, to love what God commands. Let me read that again. Real biblical knowledge enables believers to love what God commands. Because we're knowing Christ. Peter even said to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christian maturity is not blind. Not blind. Love is not blind. Unfortunately, we see that quite often, right? You hear people say, well, love is blind. It just overlooks. No, love is not blind. Stupidity is blind. But love is not blind. But perceptive. That's what this means. When it says to grow, that your love may abound more and more in real knowledge and discernment, our love is supposed to abound in such a way that we begin to understand. Understand God and understand each other. Love is not blind. Love corrects when it needs to. Love encourages when it needs to. Love speaks in someone's life when they need to or when they will listen. It carefully scrutinizes to distinguish between right and wrong. How does that apply? Have you ever been watching something and deep in your heart you go, I shouldn't be watching this. Or you turn something, like uh, on your phone, you're clicking through something, and your finger hits that wrong place, and something comes up, like an ad for something, and it's offensive, and you go, oh, God. Instead of looking at it, 
It's because we've grown into grace and knowledge. When we have those moments where real love, love for God, helps us discern between what is right and what is wrong, what is godly, what is ungodly, and it helps us scrutinize on these things. We think, oh, that love doesn't do that. It just, it, it, no. If you say that love doesn't scrutinize, you've never had children. Because I love them enough, I love my kids enough, you can ask them, that I'll call out in great love, sometimes tough, what's right and wrong. Do we do that with each other? Don't answer that. Discerning is this. The word discernment. Now knowledge and discernment, okay? Discernment is this. It means to distinguish the things that differ. A perception with the senses as well as with the mind. Meaning what? Discernment stresses moral perception and the practical application of knowledge to the many circumstances and challenges of our life. Meaning what? If I'm perceiving what God wants, if I know his word and I've grown in it, I'm going to know what God desires. And what I'm going to do is take that knowledge and I'm going to apply it to my life. I'm going to apply it in the areas it needs to be applied. You say, well, that's the Holy Spirit's job. How do you think he's doing it? He's doing it through you. He's saying, I want you to do this. I want you to not do this. Discernment is the understanding and appreciation of real knowledge of God's word that produces a holy life. Christian maturity loves what God commands and is able to apply them in one's walk. Before we go any further, turn with me to Luke. I know, I heard you say it. I knew it. Star Wars has infiltrated the church. Chapter 6. This is going to be a very hard thing when we read this. But watch how it applies to what we're talking about. Chapter 6, starting verse 46. This is Jesus. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Ouch. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. When a flood occurred, the torrent burst against the house and could not shake it because it had been built well. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation. And the torrent burst against it and immediately it collapsed. And the ruin of that house was great. So what are we looking at? These three things that I gave you today from Philippians chapter 1, verse 9. Those three things are foundational. Foundational to our walk in Christ. The foundation determines the formation in Christian maturity. Did you catch that? The foundation, whatever that foundation is, and it better be Christ. We know that it says in the word that he is our foundation. That's what Jesus was talking about. The foundation determines the formation in Christian maturity. I'm going to ask Kelly to come up. Come on, Kel. You're going, I thought we were done. You're not that blessed. I want to, she's got something she wants to share. And it concerns the future of where we're going. Come on, Kel. All right, you get two sermons for the price of one this morning. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so we've been talking this morning about spiritual growth and maturity, and we've been actually talking about that all month, right, about growing in Christ and, and becoming mature in Christ. And, you know, this time of year, um, beginning of the year, we always, and most of us, have, you know, this kind of um, thought process where we think, what do I need to change this year? How do I need to grow this year? I think most of us probably do that. And for most of us, me included, um, the first thing that usually comes to mind is what? Exactly. It's not usually, I mean, let's be real and honest. We don't usually start off the year thinking, I need to become more spiritually mature. I, I wish I was that spiritual, but that's not how I started off the year. I started off the year with, I ate too many cookies over Christmas break. I had too many cookies in the freezer. I ate too many pies. I stopped exercising somewhere around Thanksgiving and sat on the couch and didn't do very much between Thanksgiving and January 1st. Am I right? Like, don't we think that? <laughs> or am I alone here? Um, that's what we think. We think, okay, and then the next thing is, okay, I did too much eating and now I need to do something about it. And so then I get these grandiose ideas of how I'm going to get in shape in 30 days, <laughs> right? Or 60 days or however much time I set for myself. And I set these huge goals of what I'm going to do. Maybe I'm, you know, in years past, so I'm going to go to the gym four times a week or, you know, I'm going to um, do this workout video every day or I'm going to eat only a thousand calories a day or I get kind of drastic, right? And then how long does that last? A day, <laughs> maybe. Usually I start in the morning, and then by about 7 o'clock, I'm hitting the freezer for the cookies again or hitting the pantry for the whatever. So, you know, we're just not very good with this word that's called consistency. We have a really hard time with that word, don't we? You know, we start well, and then somewhere along the way, whether it be dieting or exercise or whatever it is, we just kind of fade out and we kind of forget. And then next thing you know, we're right back to where we started and we're eating all the stuff again and we're not exercising, whatever. So one thing that I've learned um, in my life is that little adjustments that I make consistently can have really big results. Okay, and this is just practical, and we're not talking this morning about weight loss. That's just kind of a fun thing to think about. But what if, instead of having these huge ideas for, you know, what if I said, you know what? I'm going to get up, and I'm going to walk for 10 minutes every day. And that's all I did, right? Pretty soon, that 10 minutes would feel so good. Maybe I would walk for 20 minutes. And then maybe, maybe, like, Eventually, I might even start walking for an hour. I don't know. That's pushing it for me. But maybe, you know, one thing would lead to another. Why? Because instead of, like, trying to, you know, do all of this drastic stuff, I just did something consistently every day. Well, what's the point spiritually? You know, you can't get in shape overnight. You can't lose 100 pounds overnight, Right? And you also can't become a mature believer overnight. Right? Okay. It's not something you can just, I did everything right today and now I'm a mature believer. It happens consistently, right? Every day, praying, reading the word, spending time with God. If you only have 10 minutes, you have 10 minutes. But you do that 10 minutes in the morning and you get up and you sit there and you pray and you read the word and you spend time with God. And then you get up the next day and you read and you pray and you, sp and you fellowship and you come to church and you do the things that you know you need to do to become mature in the faith. And next thing you know, you know what? Ten minutes wasn't enough in the word. I want 20. That wasn't enough. I, I want 30. You know what? I'm going to set my clock for 6 a.m. instead of 7 a.m. because I need more time in the word right? The more time you spend, I guarantee the more time you spend with the Lord, the more time you're going to want to spend with the Lord. One thing will lead to another. So there's a verse in the Bible that we like to quote. 
And we're not going to look it up because you've already had one sermon today. You don't need another one. I'm not going to make you look it up, but I want to say this verse. One of my favorites, and we like to quote this verse a lot, and it's, Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. We love this verse, right? It's such a comforting verse. I quote it all the time when I need comfort, when I'm stressed. You know, I love to quote this verse. But sometimes we forget the next part of the verse. What's the next part of the verse? Who knows? Before that, yeah, the next part is come and learn from me. After the rest, it says come and learn from me. And then it goes on, come and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls your soul is your inner person, your feelings, your thoughts, your emotions, all of this inside that sometimes can be in such turmoil, right? No matter what, you know, whatever's going on in our life, our soul sometimes can be very troubled. And he says, you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I want to highlight that. Come and learn from me. What is that? That's an invitation. Come learn from me. You know, when I have someone come and sign up for voice lessons, it's like, hey, come learn from me. I'm going to show you how to sing, right? Jesus says, come learn from me. He's extending an invitation to us to come and learn from him. That's a call to discipleship. What is a disciple? A disciple is a student, okay? And when we, heard, when we hear the word student, I can almost feel the cringing of the college students and high school students in the room because we hear the word student and we think, what? Homework, studying, tests, teachers, grades, failing, performance, all those things that we think of when we think student. This is not the kind of student Jesus is talking about because he says what? Come to me, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, I will give you rest. Being a student, a disciple of Jesus means that we come to him, we learn from him, we get to know him. As Ron was talking about this morning, we get to know him better. We get closer to him. We learn how to walk with him. We learn how to make the right choices every day. We learn how to be strong. We learn how to use our spiritual gifts. We learn from him. How do we learn? We learn through his word. We learn through his Holy Spirit within us teaching us. And as we learn from him and as we grow, we're transformed. That's the beauty of it. The Bible says, be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. How do we renew our minds? With the word of God. With his word. Because in all scripture, inspired by God, profitable for what? Teaching, reproof, for correction that the man or woman of God may be fully equipped. Everything we need is in the word of God so that we might be fully equipped. Everything we need. But the problem is we're not consistent. We have good intentions. I'm going to read my Bible for 30 minutes every day. And how long does that last for some of us? Just a day, two days. Why? Because we're not willing to get rid of what we need to get rid of so that we have the time to do it. So I have a challenge this morning, and then I want to just close by telling you some opportunities that we're going to have here at MVC that I'm really excited about. We've been planning this and talking about this for several months now. Um, so when you're getting ready to make little adjustments in your life and changes in your life, you need to ask the Lord, what is it you need me to give up? What can I give up to make room for this, for growth? Because growth doesn't happen overnight. It's not something you can just do in a few minutes a day, you know, and just quick and move on. It takes a commitment to being consistent. So what might I need to give up? Maybe I need to give up an hour of sleep. That was me. I had to make a commitment to get up earlier. Because once my kids get gets up. I mean, it's just crazy in my house. <laughs> so I had to set the alarm an hour earlier so I could spend time with the Lord. Maybe it's, you know, giving up some time that you normally are gaming or on social media or watching your favorite show or whatever it is. Nothing is more important than your relationship with the Lord and growing in that. 
So I just want to challenge you first to ask the Lord, what adjustments do I need to make? What do I need to adjust in my life to make room for spiritual growth? And then here's the second thing. Spiritual growth, learning God's word, growing in his word, happens best in fellowship. We were made, we were designed for fellowship. So when I study God's word, yes, we spend time alone with the Lord every day. That's super important. But when I study the word of God in fellowship with other believers, what happens? We become accountable to one another, right? We start asking each other, how's it going? What did you get? You know, if we're all studying the same thing together, what did you get out of that passage? What's God teaching you? How are you applying that? How's God showing you how to apply that in your life? We can start discussing it, talking together, helping each other learn how to apply the truths of God's word every day. And it's very powerful. It's very powerful. There's nothing like fellowshipping around God's word. Think of it as having a meal together. Isn't it great to sit around the table with people you really love to be with and just talk and eat and hang out? Isn't God's word our bread, the bread of life? We can gather around the Lord's table and feast on his word together. It's a beautiful thing. So we are launching some new opportunities to do just that here at MVC, to gather around the table of God's, with God's word and fellowship together around his word. And we're calling them discipleship classes. I think that's what we came up with. Discipleship class is kind of an old-fashioned term, but we couldn't think of a better one. If you have an idea for a better one, let me know. Something cool and trendy. Um, we tried on a few, and we just they just didn't sound right. So we went with discipleship classes. And really, they're just small group Bible studies. All right? Simple. And so the goal is that we want to have something for everyone, whether you're a baby on up. We want everyone to have an opportunity to be discipled in God's word. And so some of them are similar to what we've been doing and we've added some more. So really quickly, I just want to go through what we're going to be offering and I want to challenge you and encourage you to pick one or two, two is great too, to commit to and pray about it. See what the Lord would have you do. So of course our children we're going to continue Sunday mornings what we've been doing. That's our primary time um, for discipleship with the kids. We teach them God's word, and we, we spend time. And I love, I love being with our kids. They're so much fun. We have such a great group of kids. Um, they really love each other, and it's, it's really fun to watch them together. Um, so that's still on Sunday mornings. Wednesday nights. We're still going to have Bible study Wednesday nights, but I'm really excited about what we're, what we're doing on Wednesday nights. From now on, starting first week in February, so this is all going to start first week of February. So you've got a couple weeks to kind of think about where you want to plug into. But on Wednesday nights, starting first week in February, we're going to have eight-week classes. So it's an eight-week commitment. Um, we're going to be doing a study called Practicing the Presence. Ron's going to be teaching that one. It's going to be from 7 to 8. This is open to all ages, um, adults. Youth will still be having Bible study from 7 to 8. But in the next few months, what we'd like to do is expand Wednesday nights and offer maybe two or three different classes. We're going to start with one. But as the Lord raises up more teachers, more people, we'd like to have maybe two or three classes to choose from. So maybe you want to do this class and someone else wants to do this class and you pick your class from 7 to 8, okay? Youth will still have their normal programming and they'll do an eight-week rotation as well. So that's Wednesday nights. Then we have young adults, Friday nights, every other Friday, 7 p.m. And invite friends. They have a great time, worship, prayer, studying God's word. So that's um, 18 to 35 ish on for every other Friday night. Then we have a couple new things starting up. Mondays, Monday mornings, we are going to have a morning Bible study. I'm very excited about this. We are going to have a, I have to be careful how I say this, we're going to be having a senior adult Bible study Monday mornings from not every other Monday morning. So it's going to be an every other week thing. 9.30 to 10.30, with maybe a little fellowship before 9.30, 9 to 9.30. Now, 
I've been told that senior adult starts at 55, and that's really close to my age now. So um, I'm good with that. So 55 and up um, on Monday mornings. And there will be a rotation of teachers come that first week. I believe it's February 6th will be the first meeting. And we'll be doing some organization together with that. And Ron and Denise and I are going to kind of help out facilitating it and organizing it. And I'm really excited about that one. I really feel like that could be a really powerful community outreach into our community. So more info about that if you come to the first meeting. They're going to be studying the book of Titus. And one of my favorite books, um, one of the pastoral. And then here, yeah, here at MVC, I'm sorry, here in this building on Monday mornings. Prayer is immediately after from 1030 to 1130. So if you come to Bible study, you can stay for prayer if you'd like. Um, okay, lastly, we have another new Bible study. Now, this is it's the same time as we've been having the family-friendly small group on Sundays. But we're going to expand that a little bit for a little bit larger group. And so the Sunday every other week family group is going to be now called a parent Bible study. We're going to be going through a um, book called Raising Kingdom Kids. And it's a really powerful book. I'm enjoying going through it um, as a parent. And so our Sunday afternoon, every other Sunday, family small group is now going to be a parent's Bible study, and it's going to be open to parents of all ages up through college. So if you have a teenager, come to the parent class. You know, those of us that have teenagers, we can all study God's word and learn together. Because if you have teenagers, you know we never really know what we're doing. We get think we figure it out, and then we have to figure it out again because, you know, we just need to be dependent on the Lord for every everything we do. So we're going to study what God's word has to say about parenting together. That's going to be every other Sunday right after church until about 2.30. There will be child care for that one. And I forgot to mention the Wednesday night Bible study. Guess what? We're offering child care now. So if you want to come Wednesday nights, we will have child care from 7 to 8. So that's your options. There's something for everybody. I want to encourage you, pray about where you're going to plug in. The way, how do you sign up for one of these Bible studies? You come to the very first meeting. That's your sign up. So show up at the first meeting. We will have a schedule out. It'll be on the app. It'll probably be posted in the back. It'll be, we'll give you all the dates, plan to show up, sign up. And um, I'm just really excited about what the Lord's going to do is we're going to grow in him and maturity together. So let's stand up. Do you want to close this out, Ron? <laughs> All right, Lord, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for what you're going to do here um, at MVC. We pray that for every Bible study that we're going to be launching in February, Lord, that you would um, just lead exactly who needs to be at each one of these studies, that you would give us wisdom as to where we need to um, make adjustments in our lives, Lord, to grow in you. And we thank you, Lord, for what you're doing here. We just ask that you would go with each one of us and keep us safe as we leave and just bless um, everyone as they go about their week. In Jesus' name, amen.